We'd prefer that you not leave your daughter unattended in the store, ma'am, stammered the clerk. We've had some problems with unsupervised children lately. She's not my daughter, said the other woman. But we were just leaving, weren't we, Alexandra? Alexandra was still staring at her until the clerk turned around, and then Alexandra managed to nod. Yes, Miss Grimm, she mumbled. Hello and welcome to season number two of the Remedial Magic Podcast. My name's Brady, and as always, back for season two are my brother Baylor and our good friend Delbert. We did it. <laughs> we, We've made what's it. Up? <laughs> we are here for season two, and I gotta tell you. I'm a bit apprehensive about this one. Listen, if we make it to season three, we've done better than hit show Revolution, okay? That is true. <laughs> that is true. Uh, no, I'm a little bit apprehensive about this one because our recording setup has changed dramatically. Very downscaled from our previous environment. Yeah, the uh, the studio we normally record in, unfortunately, is only open during the hours when people work instead of late at night like it was during the school year. And uh, that means it doesn't work out well for you, Baylor, since you're the only one here with a full-time job. Indeed, yeah, yeah. We only would have uh, like an hour to record. And uh, typically we talk at length before we start recording. So that probably would have been, you know, 25, 30 minutes, which isn't very usable. So... These guys are testing out uh, Steve Jobs' technology and recording, so good for them. We are, so we're hopeful that the audio quality hasn't taken too much of a dive. Uh, Baylor's going to work some editing magic, I think, with some of the background noise that might be occurring, but we are recording in the basement of my house, in just in a blank, empty room. If the uh, audio is bad, go ahead and give us first a five-star review, and then go ahead and sh- go ahead and shoot us an email with both a question about the, the series and, um, you know, just let us know the audio is bad, and then, you know, we can deal with that later. But, it's you know, true. five-star review, then an email with a question would be great. If you take the time to let us know that the audio is bad, uh, I don't think there's much we can do about it, but at least you've let us know, which is true, which is nice. Indeed. Uh, I will say that I am excited to be back for season number two. Uh, Just reading the first part of book two has gotten me very excited as I've started to remember just how good this book is compared to book number one. Yeah, I think I said it during our interview with Sam, but uh, this is probably my favorite book in the series because it's really what just dragged me into the world full stop. You know, the cool thing is that It's going to be a bit more enjoyable for Baylor as well, I think, because we're not doing this chapter by chapter. We're going way back to episode one, and we're going to toss several chapters together. And it's just going to depend, really, on what we think is most appropriate. We're going to try to do this in terms of story arcs a little bit. And so the plan for that is to just find cohesive units of chapters that fit well together, and then talk about all of that at the same time instead of each individual chapter on its own. And so today we're going to be discussing chapters 1, 2, and 3 
of Alexander Quick and the Lands Below, uh, because those are the three chapters of this book where Alex is not at Charmbridge. This, this is the, the summer times, the before times, before she goes back for year two. So, uh, Baylor, are you excited about that? I'm pretty pumped, yeah. I get to read more content, obviously. Um, I know a little bit last season we kind of recorded uh, two episodes at once for a period there. Uh, but still, it was very, uh, like, pattern reading. Like, I would read a chapter, get excited, then have to put it down. And so I'm I'm excited to uh, kind of dive deeper into the into the novel, um, you know, experience more of the world all at one time versus just a chapter at a time. So I'm excited. Can't wait for book three, where our format changes again to reading the entire book and doing <laughs> one, one podcast. <laughs> one episode. You know, uh, this will mean that our season won't be as long, uh, and we didn't want to make it too, too much shorter so we're going to be supplementing some of our chapter discussions with some other types of episodes uh, for example next week's episode is going to be a deep dive about alex's character kind of who we know she is uh now where we think she might be going and sort of what what motivation she has to act the way she does and then uh, later on in the season, we're hoping to maybe get some interviews with uh, some other fan fiction authors or get Sam back in here for another longer interview or maybe do some form of a Q&A with Inverarity. So we have, uh, we have some plans for different types of episodes during this season, but at least two episodes out of every four will be chapter discussions related to um, Alexander Quick and the Lands Below. So I'm excited for the format changes and especially to uh, possibly bring in some some authors from different fan fiction worlds and build more of an audience that way as well. Yeah, and on top of that, I don't know exactly how long this season's going to run since we still need to break up the chapters into however we're going to plan on doing it going forward. But maybe towards the back half, we'll get an uh, episode about the new Wizarding World game. That is true. It's It'll be interesting to see if that falls during this season or during season three, but by the time this season's over, if it's not out, it will be coming out very shortly. Yeah. So that's exciting stuff as well. Uh, what'd you guys do during the recording break? I know it wasn't a very long recording break, but... I decided, you know, that I would move, and so I'm still getting settled in uh, here about three hours away from uh, the recording studio tonight, but... uh. Yeah, still getting settled in here, uh, you know, learning the ropes at work, that kind of stuff. Um, today, in fact, I almost rebuilt an entire shed minus the walls and the, and the uh, supporting beams. But, you know, it's been a, a busy couple weeks so far since I had left uh, our home, or I guess where I was previously, where we were previously. What about you, Delbert? Oh, I'm spending my time in essentially equal thirds of looking for a new job and designing a D&D campaign and playing a lot of RuneScape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've sort of gotten me back into RuneScape a little bit and what might be the worst way possible. Yeah, uh, if anybody happens to know or play old school RuneScape, they will be familiar by now with the Tileman epidemic that's going on and Brady convinced me to take part in one of those, so. So yeah, we've... 
played for probably, I would say, 10 hours at this point, yep. and we've unlocked... Nothing. Less, Cows. Less than a tenth of a percent of the game, so it's <laughs> it's going well. It's been a good time waster, that's for sure. <laughs> the other thing I did during the break was finish up the school year and finish out with finals, uh, so I am free for the summer. My only plans are to go on a vacation and to give as many parking tickets out as I possibly can. Savage. Yeah. <laughs> That's my other my other gig as I'm a part-time parking officer and let me tell you, it is not a fulfilling way to spend your time. <laughs> you do get to listen to audiobooks though. I do get to listen to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts, which is great, but I could do that while also not making half of the town mad at me. So you, you take it you, you take it and you you give it a little. So <laughs> it, it is what it is. Um because the break has been ever so long, roughly it's been a week since maybe two weeks since you last heard our voices. Uh Delbert, why don't you tell the good people about our social media? Believe it or not, we're more prepped for season two, so I have them in front of me, so I can't possibly mess up that our Instagram and Twitter is at the underscore RM podcast. And our Gmail is the remedial magic or remedial magic podcast at gmail.com. And then of course, all of that's in our link tree, which is in the description of this episode. Yeah. And again, uh, as much engagement as we can get there would be certainly appreciated. We definitely like to read your emails and check those out. In fact, I believe we had an email over, over our break or maybe right before the break that we just didn't get to. And it was uh, from a listener telling us who they would have cast for, I believe, Abraham Thorne. Isn't that right, Delbert? Yeah, so we got a uh, another email from Nick from New Jersey, our longtime listener and multiple email sender at this point. Super fan number two, I think. Yeah. Super fan. <laughs> and... He said, I know you guys haven't done this yet because technically he hasn't appeared except in locket form, but he wants to uh, have us cast Abraham Thorne, which I think we did cast. I feel like I casted Mark Hamill for him. Yeah, we cast Abraham Thorne. Uh, in fact, in the finale, if you remember, we collectively chose Tony Dalton That's to right. play our Abraham Thorne. And uh, this tells me a couple things. First, that Nick is still listening and still sending emails regularly, which I like. And yeah. secondly, that he needs to catch up to the, po- the current <laughs> state of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but also, his take on it is Benedict Cumberbatch sent us a picture of Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah, that's you a can't. Good, that's go a good choice. There. He's a great actor. Absolutely. He's better known as Doctor Strange these days, but yeah. I particularly liked him as the voice of Smaug, the True. the dragon, the terrible calamity. If you have not seen the videos of him voice recording that role, they are pretty good. He contorts his face in all sorts of fun manners to get that voice, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, he really gets into it. So, with all that out of the way, uh, when we get into this... We're going to be talking about three chapters today, chapters one, two, and three of Alex Quick and The Lands Below. So we're not going to be going super in-depth into the minute details of each chapter. That way we can keep this relatively short. And so instead of our typical three-sentence summaries, which have gone by the wayside and 
might make a return every now and then, but for the most part, we won't be using during this season. Uh, we're going to take turns writing summaries of the section of chapters we're using to, to discuss on the podcast. And uh, Baylor, I believe you are the person who volunteered for the summary today. So without further ado, why don't you take that away? So yeah, this arc has three chapters. It starts with chapter one, which is the mall. Um, it's it's summer again, and Alex is grounded once again, as always. Um, she annoys Archie, and so Archie sends Alex to the mall for some school supplies, where Alex then runs into Brian and Bonnie, and then also seemingly Mrs. Grimm, Dean Grimm. Uh, then we head to chapter two, where we actually learn that this Dean Grimm person is not Dean Grimm. It's actually her sister, Diana Grimm. And she is the special inquisitor in charge of uh, following Alex around to find Abraham Thorne. Chapter 3 is then called Storm Crows, and Alex boards the Charmbridge bus once again to go to the Goblin Market to buy school supplies. Um, everything pretty much goes to plan, but then they run into a group called the Storm Crows. And they learn that those uh, that group of students will be um, foreign exchange students this year at Charmbridge. All right, thanks for that, Baylor. A, a very in-depth summary. Um, yeah, that's that's essentially what happens. And I want to go back to chapter one and just start there because I have to tell you, I found myself chuckling almost immediately at the thought of Alex's parents having, like, being so clueless about what to do with her during the summertime that they just send her to vacation Bible school. I can't even imagine Alex's character sitting in a place like Vacation Bible School and willingly participating in what's going on there. Yeah, and especially like reading about what we what this Vacation Bible School is, like it's pretty um I'm not I'm not going to say uncommon cuz I'm not from uh this area that she lives in, but uh, it's a very like um what's the word, like a uh, radical Bible school. I know what you mean. It's like, it's just, <laughs> she goes to the school and we find out that they're talking about how all witches should die and witches are evil. And as I'm reading this, I'm going, what time period do these people exist in? This is, this is not Salem in the 1600s. What's going on? Yeah, this legitimately reminds me of Fantastic Beasts 1, which granted this came out way before that, obviously, but with that cult or whatever you would call it that uh, Credence is a part of more than a typical Bible school. Like, don't kids typically go to Bible school to learn how to be better citizens and treat each other nicely, not to learn about why you should burn witches at the stake? Yeah, it's a little bit of a... Uh outdated take i think i when this happened did you guys when you started hearing or reading about this place talking about how witches are evil and all this stuff did you think there was going to be any other conclusion than what happened with alex losing her temper and making worms magically appear in somebody's food no no i i i would no i'm not surprised it's just I guess it's a really good way to set up the fact that Alex is still who she is, but the the image of her sitting in Bible school, listening to this, knowing that she's she's magical, she can't, but she can't do anything with her magic, nothing uh, in the Muggle world. 
Uh, it's like, it must be like what her version of hell is like almost having to just sit there and deal with that. I can't, I can't imagine how unbelievably boring it is to, to be there. I mean, it, cause like, I feel like if I was a wit or excuse me, if I was a wizard, um, just like the normal world would be pretty boring to me, especially if I came from the normal world, like kind of knew what was going on in it. I just feel like, man, that's a boring summer. Yeah, I agree. I, it's got to be. After everything she experienced while she was at Charmbridge, it's just the same as Harry coming back from Hogwarts that first year and then being forced to do muggle chores and not have to not have any friends, not be able to do any magic. Like that's that's just a <laughs> it's just an image of I think probably misery in general. What do you guys think of Archie uh just sending Alex to the mall because he didn't want to deal with her. Oh, hell yeah. Back on the hate <laughs> Archie train. Um, no, I I understand it. Like, he, he does care for Alex. We see that throughout book one and book two so far. But he, uh, he needs his sleep, you know? Like, <laughs> if she's being loud screaming at her bird while he's sleeping during the day because he's working overnights... I can understand being like, okay, look, you have to do this anyways. Go. <laughs> it is a fairly bizarre choice, I think. If she's grounded, his response to her waking him up is to tell her, here's money, leave. Right. Get out of the house. Yeah, like, right. I guess I understand the choice, but from a parenting standpoint, it feels like a mistake. Eh, I mean, I've had that happen, too, even when I'm grounded. Like, my mom wants to sleep or take a nap, and my brother wanted to go to a movie, so she gives us money and says, hey, go to the movie. That's at least structured, though. Yeah. Right here, he's just giving Alex money and saying, go to the mall, knowing full well that she has an aptitude for finding trouble. True. I was thinking that it uh, it was definitely strange, like, like how... Uh, I, I guess I never experienced this myself, but how... Like, a, a parent is so fed up with somebody that they're just, like, even though they're grounded. And, and Archie's been really strict with, with uh, you know, her being grounded in the past. And then he's just like, yeah, get out of here. See you later. You know, it, it it's surprising. I'm wondering if he just thinks that if I, like, I'm wondering if he just thinks that there's nothing that can be done at this point. Like, Alex is who she is. She's back from school. She's been grounded again. She's making a bunch of noise. Maybe if I stop being so hard on her, she'll settle down a little bit or something like that. Give her a little bit of freedom and see what she does with it. It just made me laugh that he just sends her off to the mall because he needs to sleep. Uh, I think the part when she's at the mall and she catches Bonnie shoplifting... I think that would probably feel somewhat vindicating for Alex. You know, Brian has been acting as if Alex is the main problem around and she shows up and sees Brian's little sister also doing things she shouldn't be doing. I think that probably helps Alex feel better about her own place in this muggle town. Yeah, and I mean, on top of that, too, she doesn't even really use it, though, to throw it in his face or anything. Like, 
because he makes an appearance and sees Bonnie with her and basically says, we're leaving. And she doesn't, like, say, hey, she was trying to steal or anything like that. Like, she doesn't use that to her benefit. Yeah, she almost, she mothers Bonnie here. She, like, says, hey, don't do that. You're going to get in trouble. Uh, and so I think uh, we're seeing Alex have a little bit of maturity here, first of all. And obviously, we know that she cares about Brian, even though he's been not very nice. And we know that she cares about Bonnie. And Bonnie, we know from the first book, looks up to Alex in some respect. So uh, this definitely establishes that some of those feelings are still there. But it also establishes that Brian still hates Alex. He thinks she is the worst. Yep. Yeah, I don't I don't really think in my opinion that Brian goes about it the best way. You know, I know they're 12-year-olds, but he's definitely kind of uh, you know, a big jerk all the time. <laughs> it's made note of in the in the chapter that Brian's family, the Seaberries, are pretty uppity anyways. And so this definitely reinforces that as far as Brian's attitude goes and it also conflicts with that when you find out what Bonnie's doing. One thing I wanted to point out uh, before they got to the mall was just that uh, when Charlie got back, because like, that's what really started this yelling and, and her getting sent to the mall was Charlie showed up and then Alex, you know, got frustrated because she can't leave, but Charlie can come and go, whatever. But when Charlie, like, got there, uh, he had, like, a bunch of, like, uh, trinkets and stuff that, uh, or, excuse me, he had, um, let's see, yeah, small gold chain and uh, it comes to find out that, that Charlie has been going out and basically stealing, like, little trinkets and baubles and stuff uh, throughout the summer. And she has, like, an entire drawer full of them. Yeah. He's a thief, which uh, this part cracks me up because it, it definitely leads me to believe that there's something more going on that's causing him to behave this way. But it also is just typical raven behavior. Right, birds mm -hmm. like ravens are known to collect shiny things like that. Yeah, I I just I thought it'd be funny, uh, or I wrote down it was a niffler in disguise in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so now in your head canon, Charlie is a niffler who is actually Abraham Thorne. I thought we moved away from that. Uh, yeah, I clarified last uh, <laughs> uh, last season that I didn't think he was actually Abraham Thorne. Charlie wasn't. Uh, but I do think that, that Charlie is involved with Abraham Thorne and also potentially a Niffler with wings. But, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Would you like that to be an official prediction? <laughs> no, no, of course not. <laughs> um, moving back to the mall, something interesting about the mall, I guess, when Billy Bogleson shows up, which there's not a lot of interesting things that happen when he shows up because he uh, is just an awful kid. He just sounds terrible, but he shows up. He picks on Alex a little bit. She stands her ground. And then he decides he needs to look inside her bag to find out what color her panties are. That whole that whole sequence of events up until the point where the the mannequin reaches down and grabs a hold of him was extremely off putting to me. Yeah, he's just a bad kid. What was his plan? He strikes me as the type of kid who, if he opened her bag and there was panties in there, he would not have a single idea what to do next. Yeah, 
that that's likely. I also was uh I thought it was funny that he made fun of a girl buying panties. Yeah, that part like that, I also that... laughed at. Yeah. It's not as if Alex is a boy that could be made fun of for having panties in his bag. She's a girl. It makes sense for her to have that. Yeah. Yeah, so we have a, an idiot who is borderline sexual harassing uh, Alex at this point. <laughs> yeah, I would say not borderline. This feels like yeah, it fits yeah. the category pretty well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he is stopped, though, as you said in the summary, by a mannequin reaching down to grab his hand. And we find out later that it's uh, apparently Miss Grimm who is there stopping this harassment which is a different thing altogether, but imagine being Billy Bogleston and this happens. That is horrifying. The scariest episode of The Twilight Zone I ever listened to was about mannequins in a shopping mall coming to life at night and having their own society, and that's this just calls back to that so hard. I would be so freaked out. I wasn't aware of that Twilight Zone episode, but I do recall, and this is probably going into that episode as well, in I Am Legend with Will Smith, uh, slapper of the year. He, uh, (laughs) he goes outside and the zombie creatures are moving the mannequins that he's like given names to and stories to and everything. And he like freaks out. He's like, Bob, what are you doing out here? And it's because they set it as a trap. Yeah. Yeah. I would just, I would be very scared in that moment if I was Billy. Yeah. But we find out that it's, Miss Grimm. True. At least we think it's Miss Grimm. I will say the way that Amber already wrote this part was very good because I definitely did not suspect anybody else other than Mrs. Grimm. Yeah, it definitely makes you believe that it's Lilith, but we find out in Chapter 2 right away that it's not Lilith. It's, in fact, her twin sister, Diana. What a twist. Already. What a twist. (laughs) Chapter 2. Chapter two, and we're getting twists, and it's Diana, the person who, if you remember from book one, obliviated Alex's mom. So Alex is not necessarily keen on being friendly towards this person after she finds this out. Yeah. Yeah, she has a lot of questions, which she I does. Think is her right to have those. Oh, I agree. She has tons of questions, specifically about Abraham Thorne, her father. Does she get any answers? Of course not. Nope. Why would she? Nope. <laughs> but I get a lot of answers from the Grimm sisters. She does ask a lot of questions, and we find out a few things. Diana Grimm is professionally called a special inquisitor, which I guess we probably knew about that from last book already. And we find out that Diana Grimm is a lot more fast and loose with the rules of wizarding secrecy than her sister is like for example using magic to subdue billy bogleson and then when alex brings it up like hey shouldn't you have not done that she says who's he gonna tell his parents are they gonna believe him absolutely not yeah she's a little more uh sensible in not having to cover up everything which is interesting since she's the only person we've met so far that has like gotten rid of people's memories, according to the story. Yeah. She also, I think she wins Alex over a little bit because she tells Alex that if she was in 
Lilith Grimm's place, she would have told Alex everything from the get-go. And when I read that, Baylor, I was wondering how happy that made you. <laughs> I was surprised to hear that, honestly, uh, especially because kind of, I don't know, you know, like authors do certain things. Uh, we're kind of, we've been talking a lot about the Fantastic Beast series, kind of how they had to tie up a lot of loose ends uh, with the plot. I kind of thought that you know, that whole thing had kind of been tied up in the last book, especially with uh, uh, Mrs. Shirtliff uh, saying uh, Lilith does her own thing. I, Even though I might not agree with it, I support her 100%. And then I was like, oh, that's the last we're going to hear about it. But then we hear uh, Lilith's own sister is saying, um, you know, I would have done it the opposite way. I just I, I thought it was cool to hear, and I I thought it was cool that uh, Inverarty wrote it that way, you know. But it also kind of goes siblings, you know. One sibling thinks that they can do it better than the other sibling. Probably is also uh, at a fact here. Um, so that's something I also thought of. But then I also just thought of something that uh, Diana is just doing that to win over Alex, like you said. Like, yeah. she's just using it as a ploy. Yeah, I think there's definitely potential that that's what's going on. That she is just doing that to try to win Alex over. Uh, but I also, I even wrote down in the show notes, what do you think Diana and Lilith's relationship is like? I'm sure, given what we know about Lilith for sure, how she is regimented and hard and fast with rules and must be in control, and then you have Diana who's a lot looser with things, kind of approaches things in her own way, doesn't necessarily care about the statute of secrecy as much. I'm guessing at home when they were growing up, there was some pretty pretty serious sisterly fights going on uh, with the conflict between their personalities. Yeah, I don't know if either of you will be able to play off of this, unfortunately, but in the sequel to Avatar The Last Airbender called The Legend of Korra, there's two sisters in... Um, uh, I can't remember their names, but it's Toph Beifong's two uh, daughters. And one of them is, like, training very hard to become a cop and follow in the mother's footsteps. And the other one is, you know, trying to join a circus and stuff like that. And I kind of see almost a similar thing here, where Diana, like, followed all of the rules. Or, uh, Lilith followed all of the rules and went the correct way and everything. And maybe Diana had a little bit of a shortcut into her position, perhaps. Sure. I mean... There's definitely something going on that's giving Diana the ability to operate in this much looser format. And for me, it's kind of refreshing. I would think, frankly, if if there was a wizard operating, let's just say in the town we live in, Delbert, there was a wizard here doing stuff, they could probably get away with a lot of magical stuff that would quote-unquote break the statute of secrecy. But how would we ever know, right? Because they can do stuff magically to cover that up anyways. I'm counting on it. <laughs> you're just you're just assuming that's already happening. No, no, I'm the wizard. Oh, oh. I see. Oh, nice, nice. So when I said earlier that Diana won Alex over, I didn't mean to say that they were fast friends. Certainly not. What I meant to what I really meant by that is that. I think Alex trusts her by the end of this conversation to at least be who she is, to be who she's representing herself to be. Because also, there's quite a bit of tension in this conversation. I don't know if you guys picked up on that, but 
Alex definitely seems like she's pretty mad at Diana for being the person who obliviated her mother. Well, there's that, right? And there's also the fact that uh, Diana is her is the governor general's probably right hand on this uh, on the whole Thorn thing. If she, you know, I'm guessing she's probably leading the charge for the inquisitorial squad. So, I mean, there's a lot of conflicting points there where obviously you know brings up this tension that you're talking about. Um, but I also kind of back on how you you said Alex kind of uh, trusts Diana at the end of the conversation. I just think it's refreshing for Alex to finally hear from a from an adult who is being real with her because throughout the whole first book really every adult that she talked to minus Ben Journey who ended up trying to kill her obviously um <laughs> was was very uh like skirted the truth almost you know like they 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 treated her like a kid which she is but uh Diana kind of really is the first person here who treats her like a normal person other than her would be murderer yeah, and like even Ben Journey, who was pretty real with Alex, ended up being essentially a liar because he ended up being the person who wanted to kill her anyways. And so I think you're right where just at the end of the last book, we got some adults being truthful with Alex. And here, I think Diana Grimm is just starting off that way. Like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I did. I don't feel bad about it. And I'm going to be seeing you around a lot more often. So get used to it. Yeah. I think it's cool too because uh Diana I I I kind of felt like maybe she felt bad for uh, obliviator obliviating her mom. Obviously it it is what it is at this point, but she kind of helps Alex, you know, kind of gives her some hints almost about uh you know, what to do maybe to jog her mom's memory. Yeah, so I mean she does just straight up say I think you should tell your mom everything. So I think you're right when you say that, that she's trying to uh, help Alex with with maybe finding out some answers for herself and being a little self-sufficient. But before we move on to chapter three, one of the changes we're making this season is when we decide the person who we're going to cast, we're going to cast them as soon as they've had their relevant part in the discussion. And this week, Delbert, I think you picked Diana Grimm. Indeed. So we'll go ahead and cast her right now in okay. the middle. So, Ooh, like spicy. Brady said, we're going to cast twin sister to Lilith Grimm, so we might have a couple easy outs here. But if you want to cast someone new or keep it the same or whatever you want to do, we'll, we can do that. Baylor, how about we start with you? Sweet. So uh, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't uh, prepared for this uh, until we hopped on the Discord at, uh, about an hour ago. Um, so I just quickly did it and I was, I had, as soon as I realized, oh, we're casting Diana Graham, I had one person in mind because she, in my opinion, is also a handsome woman, I would say. Um, (laughs) if you remember last season, I cast a Jennifer Carpenter from world renowned series, Dexter, who was Dexter's sister, uh, Deb, uh, for, for her twin sister, I went ahead and casted from another world renowned series. I casted Lena Hetty, who played Cersei in Game of Thrones. And if you look up Lena Hetty online, her natural hair color, I think, is black, and she looks a hell of a lot like Jennifer Carpenter does. Yeah, I'm here for it. Looking at pictures now, I'm here for it. 
I could get behind it. There's there's no one. This is the problem that I was having when I was trying to come up with a casting as well. Is if they're identical twins, then we would all just have to say Jennifer Carpenter. Yeah, you know, one could be thinner, one could be heavier. You know, like, and so I'm fine with this casting that you've made, Baylor, because they do look similar enough, and even though the book kind of leads us to believe that they're identical twins and never expressive like explicitly says that so why can't they just be fraternal twins instead that uh look similar yeah i i think you know alex looked up saw oh oh another woman with black hair very handsome looking and was like oh there's miss grant you know and then put her head down in shame because she probably was going to get yelled at or whipped magically or something um and then <laughs> After she took time to like follow her out and was like, oh, the hair's a little different. She's walking different. Then was like, oh, yeah, that's uh, not Dean Grimm, but must be a, a sister or something. Yeah, I think it works perfectly. And I was going off of that, that same sort of assumption when I chose my casting. And so I looked up people who look like Jennifer Carpenter. And the only person I could find was Hope Solo, who used to play goalkeeper for the U.S. Women's National Team. But I don't want to cast her because she has a plethora of legal problems. And so instead, I went with Zoe Deschanel. Oh, nice! (laughs) Um, Mainly because she has black hair. Uh I mean, what else? It's not my strongest casting, but that is who I went with is Zoe Deschanel. And you know what? She played my third favorite character in the world-renowned movie Yes Man. And (laughs) that's... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's all you need to know third favorite Hell who yeah. was number one and two the uh, first one was uh jim carrey of course and the second one is the guy jim carrey saved from jumping off the balcony oh nice okay yeah lovely <laughs> so also diana Grimm is fast and loose i made a point to say that several times and zoe deschanel in that movie yes man her character is the fastest and loosest person i've ever seen fantastic I'm going to wrap up our casting really quickly and say uh, Jennifer Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's, it's the most logical casting for sure. Uh, so there you go. There's the casting for this week's episode. We don't plan to cast every episode this time, but uh, frankly, if we have someone to cast, it might end up yeah. happening. And so uh, there you go. We've got, Three wonderful choices to play Diana Grimm. Who knows who will choose in the finale if she makes the finale. True. Uh, but moving on to chapter three. Oh, one thing before we mm, do. Go ahead. Still about Diana Grimm. I wanted to get your guys' take on this. We had a theory, I believe, out of Baylor last book that perhaps Abraham Thorne was hiding in the muggle world. It seems like Diana Grimm is pretty knowledgeable about how things in the muggle world work, and she's like the lead on the Abraham Thorne case. So do you think that adds a lot of uh, likelihood to Baylor being correct on that? Well, I think if he's not hiding in the muggle world, there must be something really advanced going on. It makes way more sense for him to be hiding in the muggle world somewhere. I mean... It seems like Dean Grimm does not know a ton about the Muggle world. Like, she can she can go and hold her own. But uh, Diana Grimm, she, like, fits in. Like, she looks normal. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. Seems even, like she might have spent some time in that world. Sure. Even down to the way she dresses. Yep. 
Yep, I was just gonna say that. Yeah, she she was very uh, she fit in with the with the mall scene for sure. Yeah, it is cool though that kind of was written into fruition. You know, I know we talked about it uh, a little bit last uh, last season, but it was cool to read that, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like <laughs> that's something we talked about. And now here it is. So Alex goes to the Goblin Market. On the way, they pick up all the, the typical cast and crew, the same people that we've seen Alex be friends with for most of the entirety of the last book. And this chapter is interesting because we find out that Alex is grappling with the possibility of telling her mother that she's magical, which I can only imagine how that conversation would go down. We also find out that Alex's friends all had very interesting summers compared to Alex, really. And uh, we meet some new characters who are bound to make some more appearances. So all of that happens. But we also have a extremely fun conversation with Constance and Forbearance that I want to get to. So first, I just wanted to ask you guys about these summer trips that uh, some of Alex's friends went on and what their summer plans were first of all and we're going to come back to this later so just going over it quickly darla went to the north pole on a cruise which is pretty fun yeah and she met a boy and she will not stop talking about this boy which is problematic (laughs) and we'll talk about that (laughs) in a second there's a few reasons it's problematic but yeah but angelique went to summer school at baleswood uh, and it seems to me, I don't know if you guys felt this way, but there seems to be some dark connotations attached to this place. I'm not sure, to be honest. It's in Louisiana. Yeah. Which is where the voodoo is. Right. Everybody that she, when she said that, everybody was like, wait, don't they teach dark magic there? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. It just made it seem like it was illicit or something that she went there. Like all the other kids were so surprised. Yeah. I guess I'm not sure, but, uh, it, it makes sense like location wise, but not a ton of the story has led me to believe that it's like the Durham string to Hogwarts. Sure. Yeah. It is. It is interesting that she went to summer school to begin with. Like, like yeah, that's definitely something we didn't, we didn't ever hear about in the normal Harry Potter series. Well, not only does she go to summer school, but so does David. And David's summer school might be the most sensible thing that anybody did yep. over the whole summer. He went and learned like how to do math and mm-hmm. how to write, which is something we just don't see in the wizarding world. Uh, I just was reading back and I, uh, Angelique um, says that dark arts are prohibited at Bellswood, just like everywhere else. But she did learn some counter curses, though. So yeah, I thought that... <laughs> I thought that part was kind of funny because I think Alex says, aren't counter curses just curses that you send back at somebody else? Yeah. Like implying that there's still dark magic and, you know, it's pretty solid logic on her part. Mm-hmm. I think the summer story that interested me the most was that Constance and Forbearance got to spend time watching the grannies do wand wood cutting. And it seems to be... Like, at first you read it and you go, okay, cool. But then you read more 
And it seems to be a big deal, like a very, very big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, th- like that's what the Ozarkers are almost known for is being these wand uh, cutters or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Wandcraft, I guess, would be the official name for it. But um, it's it's interesting, too, because I'm thinking back to the normal series, and this is the the movie Harry Potter version. Um, but uh, Ollivander is a is a strange guy, I, I would say, you know, um, kind of especially his opening scene. He slides in and he's like, I've been waiting to see you, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, like, I could see him, you know, kind of being from this, not necessarily obviously an Ozarker, but, you know, like a the more back, backwoodsy, uh, less civilized part of England, if that even exists. But. You know, so so it's interesting to me that I guess, in my opinion, that kind of runs, kind of lends meaning to to why Ollivander kind of acted the way he did. I guess. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's an Ozarker. <laughs> the accent didn't quite match, but well, sure. Yeah, but he could be yeah. a reformed Ozarker. Right. That sounds kind right. of bad. Ozarkers don't need to be reformed, <laughs> but <laughs> he's an Ozarker of England. Uh, you a understand black country. what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I can't say that. We have a uh, listener who goes to school in the Ozarks. True. So, you know, part of this also this conversation, they begin talking about what they're what they're going to take as their elective credit class or whatever and people are taking all kinds of stuff, but Constance and Forbearance are taking muggle studies because they want to learn more about them and boy oh boy, the questions they have. I was I was laughing while reading them because they were so, so good. Well, I enjoy it, too, because David's like, Muggle Studies, why don't you just ask me? And they're like, okay, yeah. sounds good. <laughs> and so the questions they ask are are crazy things like, what kind of critter is a hot dog? <laughs> and where do they raise them? And they, they also want to know how Muggles get skyscrapers to stand up without magic, which I want to know that, too, frankly. Physics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Physics. <laughs> Why do they leave their electricity lights on all the time? Also a great question. And then perhaps the most perplexing question of them all is, don't they get cold dressed half naked in the winter? What does that even mean? My only thought would be know. when when you used to wear shorts every day, Brady. <laughs> back, <laughs> sure. back I used school. to do that too. But my <laughs> thought was maybe they don't understand heating. Maybe. Like, maybe they just have warming charms cast on them at all times? Yeah. Oh. Or fire. But they don't you know, see a fire in a muggle house, like, but it's still warm. I don't understand what they mean by half-naked. Yeah. Like, <laughs> do they just mean not wearing coats? Like... I just don't know. Surely, like, they're humans, right? Wizards and witches are humans at the base level. Which means that surely they understand that, like, if you go outside and walk from a house to a store or something, you're not outside the whole time, like, for very long. You're not going to get that cold. I don't know. That question just cracks me up. They also want to know how airplanes don't crash into each other. Yeah, a little bit of ATC in there. (laughs) How they protect themselves against sorcery. Poorly. I guess say, they just don't. (laughs) (laughs) They just don't, but... 
that little line of dialogue there from the Ozarkers is just, it's gold. I really, really like that. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, so they do the normal things at the Goblin Market. They go get school supplies. They go to Grundy's. Alex is still barred from Grundy's because of the incident last year, but that gets lifted. And then they bump into the group of students known, known as the Stormcrows who are there on exchange for the year. And one of them happens to be this boy that Darla has taken a liking to. And we find out that he is 17 years old and Darla is what, 13, 12? Yeah, it yeah. says early in the chapter, four years older than me. So like, yeah. I'm hoping the, the boy plays it off as though Darla was just being like an annoying middle schooler who wouldn't leave him alone. Well, I am hoping that's the case, right? Yeah. A four-year age difference when you're in school is so much different than a four-year yeah. age difference when you're adults. Yeah. It's a little that, bit that... suspect, that's for sure. That was my take on it was, you know, because we've all been there where we have a little kid kind of annoying us, following us around, all that stuff. And then you're kind of, you know, you're in, stuck in that spot. Like, I could just shrug this kid off or I could, you know, entertain them a little bit, I guess. And I, I guess I, I'm not saying, you know, if this guy did anything physical, obviously don't do that. But uh, I'm just saying, like, you know, we've all been there where we, uh, you know, let them let follow us around. We play games with them, whatever, you know. So that that would be my guess. That, that would be the only thing. And then you have Darla, who is innocent, 12-year-old, uh, maybe not so innocent, I don't know, uh, 12-year-old, um, who just kind of sees it as, oh, they're the love of my life, and I love them so much, and all that stuff. You know, when in fact it wasn't that at all. Yeah, it's like a schoolgirl crush, most likely. We certainly can yeah. hope so. Yeah, because also, if you're right about the ages of 13 and 17... First off, weird. Second off, isn't 17 an adult in the Wizarding World? That's true. It is in yeah. England. This has a lot of layers to it. Yeah. Let's just cross uh, our fingers yeah. that this guy is the upstanding citizen that he says he is. Inverarity, <laughs> right in. <laughs> Tell us he's not a horrible human being. I just wanted to point out one thing that I took away from this interaction. Uh, it wasn't necessarily with Darla and uh, Martin. I believe was his name. Uh, another one of the uh, Blacksburg Madgery Institute students, when when they all walked up, uh, was looking directly at Alex and was like, like studying her basically. And, yeah. and it, to note, it's a uh, a tall, handsome, broad-shouldered boy with straight hair as dark as Martin's. And so yeah. I, I guess I I saw that and I was like, oh, you know, we've Alex has long, straight, dark hair. You know, uh, Abraham Thorne has long, dark hair. You know, could this be of any significance? So I just wanted to, I just wanted to point that out that uh, there might be uh, potential trouble with this Max person. Yeah, potential, uh, potential foreshadowing there. There definitely seems like any time somebody is purposefully described down to their hair color, they have some importance moving forward. I think it's just a story about black-haired people. <laughs> the Grimms are also black-haired. <laughs> Everybody has black hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we discussed this about 20 episodes back. If you, <laughs> if you don't have black hair, you can't be a wizard. It's true. <laughs> so, I mean, that's essentially where this where this little arc ends is with their trip to the Goblin Market. 
I, for one, think it's really cool, the idea of foreign exchange programs in the wizarding world. And secondly, this is, in my opinion, the first time we've seen Inverarity slip into a common fanfiction trope, because wizarding exchange programs seem to be the basis for about 50% of all Harry Potter fanfiction. I didn't realize that, so that's interesting. It is. I can't recall any, but it is extremely common it. when you start looking at it. Yeah, yeah. Huh. especially when you're it. looking at stories not centered on like main series characters, yeah. right? Is that well, like the happen... way that they is? Is that like the way they get around, uh, like exploring different cultures and stuff? As they say that, like, oh, Harry and Ron are going on an exchange or something like that. It's uh, sometimes like that. Sometimes it's with new characters, like a story that's about a an American wizard who's coming to Hogwarts for the year or oh, whatever. Yeah. But it is very common. Hmm. I that haven't noticed sense. it a ton. I mean, when you said it, I was like, Goblet of Fire. And that was about <laughs> all I could think of. <laughs> but regardless. Um, I, oh, go ahead. I did want to I did want to add one more thing of note. Uh, when they went to Boxley's books in the Goblin Market, um, Alex did buy that book about hexes and jinxes that she wanted to buy last year, but the uh, the chaperone at the time was like, nah, you ain't having none of those jinxes or hexes. So that that's interesting. That that might be something of note. She has a long attention span for somebody that age. Like a typical kid her age would have forgotten about that book six minutes after she had tried to buy it the first time. Yeah. Maybe she'll be also, really good at hexum. One other small thing that we kind of just went over. Gringotts exists yeah yeah gringotts they've got two different banks a goblin gringotts and a non-goblin cbnw some other bank yeah. yeah do you ever think that jkr ran out of names because she named a bank gringotts and then named a uh candy birdie bots <laughs> i mean i hadn't considered it i think when you start making your own fantasy world and you're looking for names Writing down lists of things that just rhyme with each other is a great place to start. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, though, I'm really out on the uh, B Birdie Bots Co. right now yeah. because of their lawsuit allegations. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's I'm really too bad. Losing down with hundreds the of galleons on the stock market. It's true. Super down. Did you hear that they're going to start charging double for their uh, for people who share their Birdie Bots subscriptions? It's horrible. Yeah, preposterous. They're going to start <laughs> putting ads in, too. Ads, yeah. In the beans. In the beans. Yeah, you eat them and there's paper in there huh. that has an ad. I would say it's, it is the wizarding world. It's probably more likely you eat the bean and just hear the ad <laughs> as you're chewing. Yeah. Be, it would be cool to be in like commercial marketing in the wizarding world. It would, yeah. yeah. Have a lot of extra <laughs> tools at your disposal. Okay. So, moving on. Uh, from the arc in general... Because we're done with it. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Alex Quick in the Land Below. In the amount of time it took us to do one chapter when we first started this podcast. True. We have a couple of new segments to go with our new format of the podcast. The first one is we're going to rename the arc. So if we were going to take these three chapters and put them all together in one book chapter and then give that chapter a title this is what it would be and i'm gonna go ahead and have you start baylor okay so we've all heard the slogan new year new me right we have 
So I went ahead, and since this one starts off with Alex in trouble, we see Alex be a smartass all through the three chapters. Um, I went ahead and named the arc New Year, Same Me. Oh, nice. I like it. I really like that, actually, because if if somebody legitimately expected Alex to change in between books, I think they were going to be sorely mistaken no matter what. So we As have expected. New Year, same me. Delbert. Okay. What is your name this arc? I focused heavily on one aspect of this. I ignored most of chapter one and the entirety of chapter three. And uh, went with a new Grim adventure. Grim spelt with two M's. Ooh, nice. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. I especially like that because it's very similar to mine. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the same mindset as you. Uh, I ignored chapter one, most of it, and chapter three, I didn't really care about. I did think about giving it some name having to do with Darla's little love story, but I went back to chapter two and I decided to name the arc The Second Grim. Nice. With two M's. Nice, of course. Yeah, in parentheses, with two M's. Yeah. So there you go. (laughs) One of those three is, is bound to stick. I think they're all pretty good. Yeah. New Year, yeah. same me. Another grim adventure. Yep. And the second grim. So that's one of our new segments. The other one is Ooh, the... each. Go ahead. Going to pick an MVP of the arc, who we think is the most valuable person. And I did cheat a little bit, I think, for this one because we're not allowed to pick the same person, even if we think the same person's the MVP. If one of us picks somebody. Like, if one of us picked David Washington, nobody else can pick David Washington. So, Delbert, who's the MVP of the arc for you? Well, surely to align with my chapter title being Grim, of course, I went with Alex quick. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, why'd you go with Alex? Uh, because someone else picked Grim. No, I'm... Uh, <laughs> to be fair, she is the main character. We're following her through all three chapters. I mean... She's still the center of the story. Like, sure, Dean Grimm, or not Dean Grimm, Diana Grimm makes her entrance, but it's still to discuss Alex's relationship with her father, the history of her family, things like this. And uh, even in Chapter 3, with everything with Darla happening and all this stuff, we still have this unknown Max guy who is uh, seemingly curious about Alex. So Yeah, if I had to guess... She'll probably be the most named person for this. I would segment. assume she'll probably make an appearance in most <laughs> of these. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Baylor, who did you choose for the MVP? So I kind of went uh, more of a fun line because uh, one diagram was taken, and then I thought Alex was too cheesy. No offense, Delbert. Uh, okay. So I I went ahead and uh, no I I I think Alex is a great choice. Um. I went ahead and went with Darla, and that was that's just because this is, in my opinion, the first time she's ever been humbled in the series so far. Um, and we also kind of, uh, I guess, maybe she's a little full of herself also, which which I, it was pleasing to me because she was kind of the one who was rude to Alex for most of the first book and kind of was friends when it was convenient with her or convenient for her. Um, and then also I just... Like, is she dumb? Uh, she apparently thought that an adult, <laughs> if, the adult age, if the adult age is 17, loved her. So uh, so that's, that's why she's my MVP. 
I do see in my notes, Darla is publicly humiliated. I didn't think we were going to be the ones doing the public yeah, humiliation. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, sorry. All right, so one MVP is Alex Quick, one MVP is Darla, and the third MVP, my pick for MVP this week, was Diana Grimm. Uh, again, I had first dibs this time, so I felt like I cheated a little bit, but come on. A second Grimm shows up, puts Alex in her place, uh, just generally sets the stage for what's going to be happening this book, I hope, in terms of finding out more about Abraham Thorne and uh, all that put together sticks Diana Grimm in a place of high esteem for me so far in this book. And not to mention the fact that she knows how to appropriately wear muggle clothing, which is apparently a skill long forgotten by the wizarding world. So I picked Diana Grimm as my MVP. I would say yeah. very solid choice. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like I misunderstood yep. the assignment and also had chosen that at some point. <laughs> Uh, our last little segment for the end is one that returns from last season where we're going to have Baylor make a prediction about what to expect in the next chapter discussion, uh, to help you out Baylor, since our grading system was a little unfair last time, I'm going to tell you the two titles of the next two chapters, because our next discussion is going to be about chapters four and five. And then I'm going to let you ask Delbert and I each one question to help you formulate your prediction. Wow. So you get two chapter titles and two questions, and then you can make a prediction based on that. And then I was wondering what the two of you thought about changing our grading system as well, where instead of doing it on letter grades, we do a sliding scale of one to ten i would we prefer could that. do that or we could just make it from darla who apparently is the dumbest person alive <laughs> to anna <laughs> uh, so what, how do you feel about that baylor do you like the new changes i i do i was not expecting that i actually I love these changes just based on just based on my uh thoughts so yeah i'm glad that uh that's the case I love these changes, except for the fact it was sprung on me, and I have not reread chapters four and five. Oh, it's fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> it's no problem. This is oh, how yeah. I started last season, by springing right. stuff on you. we got to do it this season, too. Of course. So, Baylor, we'll be talking about chapters four and five next time. Chapter four is titled Cultures. And chapter five is titled new wands so what would you like to know before you make your prediction do these have to be yes or no questions um i don't know delbert what do you think i think ask the question and then we'll decide yeah who knows what kind of response you'll get okay what culture will we be exploring in chapter four cultures who are you asking, me or Delbert? Brady. We'll be exploring Asian cultures primarily. All right, Delbert. Why do they need new wands? <laughs> uh, 
you can never have enough volunteers. Okay. Not a very useful answer. <laughs> no. I, but, no, I can formulate I can formulate kind of a half response off of it. I'm hoping that this will help with give a you a bit of an grade. edge. Yeah. Since you technically failed the the overall season last time. <laughs> yeah, true. I, I got a you know a D. I was a sixty nine percent, but it's all right. So for my prediction, based on that, those two questions I was able to ask. I think we will be taking a deep dive into Anna's culture. I also think we will finally, because of this, we will finally get an answer to why Anna's dad is the way he is towards muggles, especially given his mom is a muggle. Then I think in a public, uh, public display, the Confederation will, um, declare war or not necessarily declare war but uh, make their intentions known that they will be putting all of their reinforcements towards catching Abraham Thorne and the members of the Thorne Circle and in order to do so they will be recruiting new uh, I don't know what they're called in America ors, uh wizarding justice officials uh, Mr. Thiels I don't know but I think they'll be <laughs> recruiting they will be recruiting new wands for the Special Inquisitorial Squad and the Wizarding Justice Department. All right. There's the prediction. Uh, I'm excited to see how you do the next time we talk about Alexander Quick and the lands below. Um, and we'll grade that on a sliding scale of 1 to 10. And then I think instead of keeping an average of letter grades, we'll keep an average of your 1 out of 10 score. And that will maybe... Be more favorable to you, we especially if you both uh, if you both uh, score it individually instead of as a group score as well. That's true. That is true. So that's the end of our discussion, and of course, we talked about keeping it relatively short. We've gone over an hour once again, but uh, I think the new format, in terms of working through the content a bit faster, is going to be a significant improvement. Yeah. As a reminder, no. next week we will not be talking about chapters four and five. We'll be talking about instead a deep dive into Alexander Quick's character and kind of what we think is behind the scenes making her work the way she does. And then in the week after that, we'll be back with our discussion about chapters four and five. Uh, unless you guys have anything else to say, I think we can end um, the first episode of season two. I just wanted to throw a quick shout out. I found a video on YouTube and you guys have probably watched it, but it was called Creating the Wizarding World. And it was about the first two Harry Potter movies, or excuse me, just the first Harry Potter movie uh, where Chris Columbus was the director. And uh, it just talks about how they found Danny Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grant, and then you know, kind of how all the, the entire movie-making process uh, while they were shooting uh, shooting the scenes on set. Um, and I just I just thought it was really cool. Uh, it, I think it came out a couple years ago, uh, so it's a little... Uh, obviously, it covers the first book, so I think they probably released it about when they uh, uh, released the seventh movie. But 
I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, go check it out. I'm glad you brought that up because I certainly have not watched that. Oh, nice. So I'm excited to check that out now that you've brought it up. I watched it, I think, like five years ago or something, and it was really good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's a uh, very, uh, very nostalgic for sure. It sounds like it. It sounds like the kind of thing I'm a sucker for. So, yep. Uh, with that recommendation being said, thanks for listening to the first episode of season two of the Remedial Magic podcast. We're excited to have you back or to have you here if you're new somehow. And uh, my last ask before we sign off is for reviews. Please <laughs> review our podcast on whichever podcast service you use the most or Review it on all of them if you have 10 minutes of free time. It really helps us out and helps get the word out. But we'll be back next week with a character discussion on Alexandra Quick. And then in two weeks, we'll be here with our discussion about chapters four and five of Alexandra Quick and The Lands Below. Signing off for now. We'll see you next Sunday. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.